This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi, fantasy, and just plain weird shows. This week, Space Rangers, episodes one and two. The year is 2104. Explorers have stretched civilization to the farthest reaches of the galaxy, establishing remote outposts. A few elite men and women have volunteered to go to the frontier, not to rule, but to uphold the law. These are the Space Rangers, part peacekeepers, part Marines. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast from the edge of the unknown, <laughs> close enough, at the edge of the known universe. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? Well, we're starting a new show, hiding from the Banshees and knocking back some Zulus. Oh, right. That was a good name for the drinks. In the yeah, did show. you love that? That's pretty good. I think of the two episodes we watched, my favorite moment was when they called the drink a Zulu. I don't know why that tickles me so much, but it does. You love a space food or a space drink. I do. Drink. I love it. You Zulu, do. it's great. That's a great name for a drink. You do love it. It's true. Do you think it's like a Zima or something? <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. It is a Zima. They just had to, they couldn't call it that. They couldn't get copyright. the copyright. Yeah. Well, Jim, before we get started, I have something that's real. I'm on the guest on another podcast that should be out this week or... Really? It's either out now or it's out soon, but it's out very How shortly. dare you? I'm moonlighting on another podcast. What is it? It's called uh, Hugo's There, and it's uh, by a gentleman named, uh, hopefully I pronounced this right, Seth Heasley. Mm-hmm. He uh, he's basically does this podcast where he's reading all of the Hugo winners, like one by one, and he just brings a new guest on every week to talk about one of the Hugo winners, and like the guest gets to pick the book. So uh, I'm reading I'm reading Ring World by Larry Niven. Oh, weird. That's fun. Which I've read a few times. And it's a, it's a fun book. But yeah, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, hopefully it's out now. Listeners can go check that out. I think if they enjoy this podcast, they'll probably enjoy that one. I mean, Seth has another podcast too called uh, Take Me to Your Reader, which is he just reads books that have been turned into like sci-fi books that have been turned into movies, which is uh, very much in line with this podcast. So I, but we should have him on here as, uh, as a cross-pollination. Well, I, I think he, uh, he said if we ever do um, uh, that, uh, what's the guy who did Galactica? What's that guy's name? Oh, the creator. Uh, yeah, I can't remember. His he name. he did that '80s Buck Rogers show. He oh, said, and that's the one he wants. He to said do? he's like, if you ever, if you ever, uh, if you ever doing that, I'll come on for Buck Rogers. Oh, okay, well, that's something for the future. Anyway, something for those uh, listeners who can't get enough of my terrible voice to check <laughs> out. Uh, the podcast much better than ours, though, so uh, maybe check it out. That remains to be seen. <laughs> but yes, Jordan, as you said, this week a new series, Space Rangers. Here's something I found about Space Rangers. It's almost impossible to find anything about this show, which maybe says a little bit about the show, but also apparently there was a Power Rangers movie called Space Rangers, and also there was a series, I think, of video games also called Space Rangers. Hmm. Also, people just like the name Space Rangers, so it's like a generic, I think, name for, you know, if you don't know what to call your futuristic team, they're Space Rangers, so it's really hard finding something out there. Well, I mean, I knew literally nothing about it going into it at all, but it like came out at the same time as Deep Space Nine and Babylon 5. I could be wrong, but I believe it was three days after Deep Space Nine. Yeah, they all came out in the, basically the same month period, I think. And this show, we'll just say, lasted a month. I think it was January, wasn't it? Yeah, it, I've got it, the dates oh, here. Yeah. January 26th to January 22nd. Oh, sorry, January 6th to January 26th, 1993. That's a tight 20 days. But I mean, I don't. Uh, from my understanding, some things I read said only one episode aired. I, one episode I did before it was canceled. 
maybe four episodes made it to air six were created in total i think six maybe made it on to air overseas but like mm. this was not a show that was long for this world isn't it sad jordan but if you think about you know what did you say babylon 5 and Deep Space Space 9. 9 and you know next generation was still on the air i'm gonna say a lot of positive things about this show because i actually kind of liked it but the special effects and the quality of this show it's so bad it's hilariously bad these are sort of like if you put together a tv show in high school that's what this looks like it's hard to you know go oh it was it was 1993 everything looked bad it's like no 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 everything didn't look bad everything didn't look this bad i mean yeah well let's get into it because there's a lot to talk about here and before we get started jordan since this was on for such a small small period of time i thought i'd do a little uh, this time in history and just for that month? Just for that, just for the time it was on. And there's really only one day that mattered while it was on. And that's January 20th. Two things happened. Bill Clinton was sworn in. Oh, oh yeah, okay. Audrey Hepburn died. Oh, that, that happened on the same day. Same huh? day. What America laughed and then America cried. America <laughs> laughed at the president being sworn in? I don't know. I, I couldn't think of anything else. Uh, America's clown president, Bill Clinton. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. Well, N- nailing Bill Clinton years after he's left the office. Yeah, Jordan's sticking it to him. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, enough fuffing around, Jordan. Let's get into it. I need to be summary for episode one, Fort Hope. Fort Hope Avalon, two thousand years from Earth. The crew of the slingship three seven seven, Captain Boone, Navigator Jojo, Doc the engineer, the Grakic Zylan, and Daniel the newbie. Guard the frontier from bureaucracy, banshee, and good friends gone bad. <laughs> Is that the, that's the synopsis? Uh, that was courtesy of Jules Taylor. Wow, Jules. I mean, y- yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean, you got all the characters in there. I don't know where the bureaucracy comes in. I don't think they're defending him from bureaucracy. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see that either. I but can't even I, pronounce I'm, bureaucracy. I'm gonna I'm gonna count on Ju- Jules. Was it? Yes, Jules. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna assume Jules knows what he's talking about, or she's talking about. So the episode starts out. It's the year. 2104 yeah and uh, we're on the the jungle planet of scarab in the gemini system and can i tell you i have a description of what scarab is this is for all the viewers so they can picture this these wonderful graphics scarab is a desolate planet where the days are so hot that the sun burns away all surface life in a matter of one day the planet's vegetation has to grow back overnight and is so aggressive that it will even consume animal tissue in order to survive i mean you took that off of imdb or no wikipedia because i read that too uh, that's not described in the show. <laughs> no, it's not. But I think it was in there somewhere. But you you get the idea. Uh, yeah, I think th- I, that was what was interesting is this is like a holy planet that's restricted from anyone going to it. It's it's the the Graca, which is an alien race we'll meet later on. This is kind of a planet that's very important to them, and it's been restricted from people coming to it. And it is a, a strange planet where I guess we kind of get hints of it. Like the people who are on the planet, they need to get off before the sun rises because... They start, they're describing like a fiery wall that's going to come after them. But they're also shocked by the jungle life that's everywhere. Yeah, there's a lot of vines kind of grabbing at people. And I think that's one of the first things we see is that I think it's a woman who gets separated and then vines wrap around her. Yeah, someone's definitely attacked and pulled into the ground by these very, very aggressive vines. And it's kind of interesting, though, because like they're like, how did the planet over like they find their ship and the ship's been overgrown with with vines and like plant life. And they're like, it's only been two days. How is this possible? And, like, there's an interesting idea in that, like, it's a planet that, like, during the day, I guess it's, like, two days of day, two days of night. Mm-hmm. And, like, during the day, it's a desert. But during the night, like, all the plants grow very aggressively. I've never seen that before in a TV show. So kudos to these guys. I don't think they, like, stuck the landing. Like, it was, like, 
half a half expressed thought that I had to like piece together myself. And I'm like, that's a cool episode that we didn't get to watch. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's kind of there, but uh, not exactly. Anyway, there's a group of people on this planet. Um, they're they're kind of escaping the plants. They're trying to get back to their ship that's been overrun by plants, and they clearly can't use their ship to fly away. So uh, the leader of the group, uh, a gentleman Decker. named Decker, who uh, I thought should be played by a chubby ha- uh, David Hasselhoff. <laughs> I've seen this actor before. He was in a lot of... Um a lot of TV shows in the early 90s, you'd usually play like The Neighbor or something like that. I mean, in the YouTube comments, everyone's shouting him out. Oh, really? People love him, apparently. Oh, really? Oh, okay. I don't know well, who he is. I don't know who he is. I, I recognize his face anyway from that time, time in TV. But yeah, um, he puts one of his crew, this woman, into the escape pod on his ship and kind of tells her, go get us help. You have to help us get off this planet. And they shoot her off into space to go get some help. And uh, they're they're sort of stuck on this planet to fight the vines with their uh, very cool circle machete. <laughs> yeah, it was it was just a, it was a machete, but it was just a big circle. If the, you can think of another way to cut vines, I'd like to see it. Then we get a very cheesy opening credit sequence. It's unbelievably cheesy. It's one of these things where I assume it was even cheesy at the time, but it seems like something you'd see in like a sketch show or something satirizing these kind of TV shows. It definitely is not amping you up for an action adventure. <laughs> no, it's not. But yes, it, it takes us to Fort Hope, which is, I guess, the home base of the show. And we get sort of an introductory voiceover about sort of what this series is in some ways. Um, there are remote outposts spread across the galaxy. And uh, the space rangers are put out there to uphold the law as peacemakers and marines. We meet our, our hero, Captain John Boone, mm-hmm. and uh, he's he's talking to uh, the commander of uh, Port Hope, Commander Chenault, played by Linda Hunt. Let's just refer to her as Linda Hunt from now on. because uh, A Jordan favorite. Yeah, because if you know who Linda Hunt is, you can't picture anyone else. It's just no one looks like Linda Hunt. She's just a lady who's a little small. She's a tiny little lady. I she, She's great. I think she's great. <laughs> there's, there's a weird, weird scene where they like are meeting the incoming recruits, the new, the new rangers, and they're all like... I don't know if you know this. They're all dressed like Ghostbusters. Yeah, they. I wrote that too. They do look like that. I mean, it's all I, jumpsuits. Everyone in the YouTube comments are sure. like, why is everyone dressed like a Ghostbuster? They all look like Ghostbusters. But he's like introducing. He's like, hey, everybody. Uh, well, you're here. Uh, hold on to your solar dollars and uh, keep your pants on. Yeah. But this is sort of um, introducing us to this lead character because he, he wanders back. We, we meet his family. His wife and child live there. We're on Fort Hope with him. They've got an alien Christmas tree because I guess it's Christmas this episode. And this was the first instance in this show that I have a feeling they're not going to touch on too much. The idea being something has maybe happened to Earth and that's the reason they're on this outpost and that's why maybe they don't have all the vegetation and that sort of thing. Oh, you think so? I, I That's what I think, but I don't think it's going to be I, talked about too much. Because they talk a lot about this stupid alien Christmas tree. Yeah. But I just thought it was because basically the planet's not very good at supporting earth plants that's what i thought the conversation was Mm. about it remains to be seen i think they'll at least mention at some point that something happened to earth that's why i think they're out there all right well we'll we'll stow that for the time being but on this very special christmas episode slash first episode (laughs) of the show um the escape pod arrives at fort hope and um the survivor of the shipwreck is basically telling them hey you got to go back there's a lot of people on the planet uh, and Scarab, you know, has these day-night cycles. You've got 36 hours to save them. And, um, of course, we come to learn that Boone is uh, friends with Decker. He's an, ex, he's an ex-ranger himself. And he was uh, discharged from the Rangers for saving Decker during a, a, a war of some sort. Mm-hmm. It's very unclear wh- what exactly. But basically, Boone owes him because he saved his life. Yeah. 
so he's got to gather his team now so we get to meet like all the rest of the cast of the show in this little sequence here i have to say i appreciated this they were just like here you go here's every character you need to know boom let's go off and running I, I will say, like, there's something to be said for just like they just kind of get moving. Like, let's get, let's meet every character. Let's get going. First person we meet is uh, Xylan Agaraka, which is uh, he plays the classic trope of warlike alien species. <laughs> he sort of is kind of like a Klingon, I guess, but for whatever reason, and they didn't explain it in this episode. When you first see him, he's coming out of like he's in hibernation, embry- like an embryonic sack. Yeah, they say he's hibernating. They got to wake him up. And he's in basically a goo pod covered in goo. And he's just like, and he rips his goo off. And they're all like, isn't that gross? And you and you think, oh, okay, why did we watch that? But it's, you know why? Because it looks weird. That's why. Oh, it's really weird. Like he's he's climbing up an embryonic sack. It's gross. Yeah. But uh, classic uh, alien. He's got facial prosthetics. Yeah. Uh, and a mullet. To be fair, so does Boone. Boone also has a I mullet. I mean, like there's a lot of mullets on this show. <laughs> But like his race basically is, they were kind of very Klingon-esque, but now they're uh, peaceful, they're like a peaceful race now. We're going to talk about this, I'm sure. This peaceful race, is it due to the little yeah. silver thing? Well, I'm going to talk, let's talk about it. Yeah. Because basically what he, what we'll learn over the course of the episode is um, they were a race that would enslave and kill people and even fight amongst themselves a lot. You know, all the classic tropes you'd expect mm-hmm. from like a, a violent space race. Uh, space race <laughs> um, but they had a battle like uh, hundreds of years ago and there was like an evil garaka who rose up and created this like secret crystal weapon that could kill you with just a thought or something like this whole mythology around it and of course this is why important the episode it's it's buried somewhere on scarab and that's why no one's allowed to go there mm-hmm. anymore um, but anyway uh the garaka kind of rose up against the evil guy they defeated him and they kind of pledged a new way of life where they were going to try to help the universe and be fight for peace. So they created this uh, silver necklace they wear and it's called an oppressor yoke. That's right. Yeah. And what it is, is this, this actor, basically what happens is anytime he like kind of wants to get a little, a little like amped up, he like, tugs it off his neck so i guess his natural rage boils up and then he shoves it back on to like tamp it down well, see, again i wasn't sure it wasn't clear and maybe it will be in future episodes but you also get the sense he can like he has heightened senses and maybe he's more aware of things but it seems like it works even when he doesn't have well there, he still yeah. has the necklace on it seems like he still does get that rage jumping right. up maybe i'm not sure quite how it works but you're right he, he seems to have some sort of psychic ish powers like yeah. he can hold his hands and like feel if life forms are nearby he wears a cool mood ring that tells him something. But all you need to know is when he takes that necklace off, look out. That's right. I mean, that's the idea. I think they've put it on him to be like, when that comes off, look out, everybody. Yeah, exactly. But yes, this is sort of his character, and he's he's going to be the only alien on this crew, which we can get into a little more later. I think is a huge fault of this show. They are going to try to fill this up with all cartoon characters. Yes. Well, next we meet Mimmer. Yeah, he's uh, he's their scientist played by Clint Howard, which is again. Now, they've not only cast Linda Hunt, they've also cast Clint Howard. They're literally going, who are odd looking people who don't fit your normal, normal sort of casting? And I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, weird looking people. The casting director is like they've all picked great faces like everyone. I mean, other than maybe like the lead, they're all like interesting to look at. They're all kind of a little more, I think, and we'll get into it more. They're trying to cast them more up as roughnecks or something. They sort of mention in passing that they get hazard pay if they do sort of above and the beyond jobs. Yeah. So this is like, think Star Trek Adventures, but the blue collar 
rough and ready version. Yeah. Imagine Star Trek Adventures, but uh, without acceptance or liking of other people. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, how did you like uh, Mimmer's glasses? Great. They're they're the tiniest little rectangle glasses that there's no way he'd be able to see. They're through. like thinner than his eyes. Yeah. It's just it's one of those things where I like it. It looks like a futuristic thing. There's no way those glasses would be effective. It's true. Uh, Mimmer basically is established as a bit of, a bit of a nerd boy. That's about it. He didn't do much with him in this episode. Yeah, I think he's going to be the sort of Q character we've seen in a few shows. Yeah, he creates uh, stuff and hands he, it over. Yeah, exactly. Like, hey, do you guys need this sludge monster gun? Or he whatever? basically begs to come on this mission. He's just like, but no dice. Mimmer, you, you can't come. Yeah. We next meet Jojo the pilot. Um, she's When we meet her, she's in this gambling establishment where she's playing some sort of futuristic combative whack-a-mole. Yeah, it's a great... It's What you get to see is a lot of people like... It's two people competing and they both seem to be hitting panels really fat like light panels and there's you can't really tell what they're doing but i again they gotta get I, to 99 that's I, all we know yeah and there's like there's a number flashing to see how i don't know well they're tapping but i, I like that they've created this game and that apparently everyone loves because there's a crowd Big watching it and they're just like yes 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 tap 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 she's basically sharking the guy she's playing with because she loses the first game but of course the next game she's gonna like beat his pants off and what i liked about that though is like she loses the first game and she's wearing like a robe she's very mysteriously in a robe mm. but when she loses the first game and he challenges him to the second one she drops the robe and she's in like a cat suit yeah and then everyone's like oh it's it's old jojo everyone knows she's great at the game can i mention one thing real quick of course did you recognize her I did when I looked at the Wikipedia. Yeah, so the what, So she was uh, a, a character in another show we watched, The Osiris Chronicles. Warlord. Also the Warlord. Um, and Battle for the Galaxy. I think this is a better character for her. At least she gets some dialogue. Yeah, I mean, I think that last show, she had no dialogue at all. And she's fine. She's fine in this show. And yeah. I, I was like looking, her and uh, Xylan were in a sci-fi movie around that time, too, called Nemesis. Hmm. So, like, I think she has a bit of a niche in these sort of sci-fi shows. Well, she also did Babylon 5 and yeah. Adromeda and Star Trek Voyager. And so, like, that's I think a she's real had ass. a lot of cons. <laughs> yeah. But her character is, um, we, what we learn is from one of the other characters, quote, from a planet where ladies ain't ladies. <laughs> I think it's, <laughs> yes, that's what they say. I think what they're implying is it's sort of an Amazonian planet. Yeah. Honestly, every joke or comment made about her is about how, She's not a woman. It's yeah. terrible. Yeah. <laughs> like, honestly, I kind of hate this show. <laughs> like, they, honestly, they can't comment on her without being like... I know. Without being they, like, you're not a lady they, enough. They, uh... Well, we'll talk about... We're going to introduce another character real quick. And he sort of gets uh, yeah, do, saddled with uh, with all the comments. Doc, the engineer of the ship. And um, he's... We meet him. He's betting on JoJo and winning a lot. He's half robot. Uh, yeah, he is. Yeah, that's what they say. Because he's got a robotic hand, robotic leg, robotic ear, robotic voice, and uh, and at one point, actually not at one point, a couple of points, he pushes like a thing on his chest. I thought this was great. A little disc can't comes out, it's, and it just looks like a piece like of a heart. Pushing a CD player, and your CD pops out on the tr- on the tray, yeah. and in that tray is like a bisected heart that's beating in a petri dish. <laughs> And it's, it's sort of one of those things where he'll like, like you know, cough and bang it and then like he's back to normal. Well, it's just so weird because he takes it out and he's like, you're, well, you're dead. You just killed yourself. <laughs> no, no, Luke, you have no idea how the technology works. That's, that's that you don't die that way. But anyway, he's here for to provide a much needed source of toxic masculinity <laughs> at all times. <laughs> he is. He just, he's the, the poor actor. And I've seen this actor before and he's As in a lot of TV shows. The actor and, himself. Yeah. I've seen, I like the actor. Yeah. The character is hilarious because he just... Whoever wrote the show or, you know, obviously the many people that worked on it, 
decided they just had to have this guy making quips all the time and they're never good i kind of found it funny because it was just so tacky and and not needed at all it is it is like the guy who made the show was just like star trek's all about peace and love my show's gonna be about misanthropy Mm -hmm. and it's kind of i don't know it's not it does it's not work it doesn't work i don't think no i mean look this this show had six episodes. Yeah, you're right. I, I mean, anyway, I guess the point is they're supposed to be these like roughnecks who they don't fit into society. They don't they don't vote for your liberal uh, <laughs> tears. I don't. I think you're pushing a little far. I don't think that's quite quite right, but I, I get your point. <laughs> um, and then finally, we meet the last man, Daniel Kincaid. He's a, he's a recruit who wants to be their new back man on the ship. He uh, he shows up and kind of hands his resume over to Boone, just like I know your last backman died, um, and uh, I'm I'm a bit of a hot shot, so why don't you let me on the sh- ship? And they're like, uh, all right, yeah. And so he's and I would say he's probably the least interesting of all the characters. Well, he's been given the least to do. Yeah, he's just like a guy, and I mean we can mention it now. What what's, what's the title called? Backman. Backman. He basically is a guy who like stands at the back and makes sure like no one attacks them from behind. Yeah, I mean that's his that's his entire role. Yeah. We kind of then go into the launch of the rescue mission where we, we get to watch the Slingship 377, or as they call her, Lizzie. Lizzie. Now, let me ask you. What we what we get to see here is they have a very interesting way of getting the ship into... Do they call it light speed? Is that what they call it? Uh, yeah, they go into light speed. So the ship goes through a very prolonged sort of like... Well, it's just Galactic 1980. Yeah. So it's, it's the same thing. Yeah. It shoots down this... Uh, long uh, tube. Long tube, tube. Which launches them out. But when it once it hits the atmosphere, there's sort of like a... Uh, a ring in space that the ship flies into that quote unquote slingshots them so fast. Yes, it's a gravitron accelerator. Gravitron accelerator shoots them into light speed. And I was like, hey, that's interesting. I thought, I don't look again, it looks terrible because of the special effects, but I was like, that's an interesting idea. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I can't think of anything I've seen quite like that before. I feel like it's not, maybe not, I feel like nothing on the show is original. No, I was going to say, Nothing on this show is original. Every single thing on this, you've seen somewhere else before. Um, and done sometimes much it works. <laughs> yeah, done much better. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But this is not a show for originality. That's not what you're coming to the show for. I, I mean, the ship is kind of fun to look around. They have like monitors everywhere, which kind of has that like 3D um, grid. It kind of looks yeah. like Star Fox from the 64. Yeah. Like everything I, just looks like Star Fox. And everything's kind of old and craggly. And it's that sort of like you got to bang on stuff to yeah. get it to work. I, I did like the captain's chair. It's the first time I've ever seen a captain's chair that you lay down on your stomach to fly. <laughs> yeah. So, so Jojo flies the ship. And every time she has to get down in her little one-piece outfit with a corset on the outside for some she reason. She has to hang up her bikini boy on, yeah. the, on the wall. <laughs> and then she has to lay, lay flat to fly the ship. And it's a lot of, like, her just being like, ah, this ship's oh, crazy. Oh, yeah. She's doing her best, but, like, no one's giving her directions to what's happening in front of her. She's just like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Flip. She's, like, rolling around. But and the, uh, the light speed effect is just, like, the lowest quality knockoff of Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not good. Or maybe, like, a wormhole. Oh, man. Can you imagine at this point, <laughs> literally Deep Space Nine is going through the same wormhole right now <laughs> with the effects uh, budget that's 10 times as high? Yeah, it looks bad. You'll all get to see all of this on Instagram. It's There are going to be a lot of uh, choice bad special effects. And then we get a bit of a, I mean, it's a pretty pointless expository interlude on their way to the planet where the ship's weight balances <laughs> off. So they have to pull out of light speed. And as they do, they're like, uh-oh banshee hunting lamps are lighting up yeah and we get attacked by banshees which are cool i will give you i will say this these banshees are pretty cool they are pretty well here's what i liked about the banshees they were aliens in space they weren't in ships they no. were sort of flame gremlins that were sort of attaching yeah. to the ship and and burning now 
that's cool. They they look as bad as possible. No, they look great. This is the best part great? of the show. Is they they look like giant insects with giant wings that flap around, or maybe something from The Exorcist. Or something. It doesn't look good, I don't think. But I I, I, I enjoyed them. I thought it they're was definitely funny. the best part of the show. I think because they're like so weird to look at, and they're like so they're so weird. And I wrote they look clunky. like bat, bats on fire. They're wild. Because here's the thing, we can we'll talk about it a little more. We'll see a bar scene later. We saw it a little bit when they were at the gambling arena. Like they'll give us glimpses of alien life. Like there's these mm-hmm. wild things. We at, at the gambling thing, we see like a big gray faced alien for two mm-hmm. seconds. But they don't have any aliens in the regular cast other than Xylem. So we get shots of like single aliens. But it's just like it's like they didn't want to spend money on alien. Like they like built one of each kind. I think that's exactly and what it hid is. them around the. Bl- but it's it's so weird because I'm like I'm like. It appears that what you're good at is alien design. My favorite alien so far, there's an alien who I believe is just like kind of a bald looking, very flattened kind of face. And they're working on a computer all the time, but they're using a stick to push the buttons. <laughs> it's like a glow that. stick. And, and by the way, that's for whatever reason is my favorite alien. I just love that. That was how they were. They were working. I mean, I honestly think whoever was in charge of production design was probably the person who was enjoying their job the most. Right. It wasn't the lighting people because the lighting on the show was <laughs> fucking awful. It's so brightly lit. Oh my god! You know what? I'm going to disagree with you on that because I'm so tired of dark shows that I'm glad I could. I don't care how bad it looks. At least I can see what's happening. I'm so tired of it's. It's of just the not darkness. doing the show any favors because it's no. just exposing how bad everything was. Yeah. yeah. The light. I know the lighting department failed. <laughs> um, anyway, getting back to the banshees. What we kind of learned about them is they are um, this threat across the universe. They're they're kamikazes. They'll kill nine of themselves for like one hit, and uh, they have their own physics. <laughs> yeah, I think the idea is that they can, I don't know, bend space or whatever it is. They can sort of appear without people knowing how it is. So they've decided they have their own physics. Yeah, they basically just like we don't know how they work. So Ooh. own physics. Um, anyway, they kind of get in a battle with them here. Old uh, Daniel Bachman. Gets up on that turret and uh, it's kind of like a Star Wars turret or a periscope or something. And mm. like he's firing at the aliens and trying to fight them off and he's not very good. So Boone takes over. And in the end, like they get rid of them because Doc like pulls an electrical cord out of the ship and then says, nobody touch any metal on my metal ship. And he just touches the, like he basically electrifies his whole ship. Yeah. And electri- it works. I don't know what you're laughing about. It explodes. The one, there's one like on the windshield yeah. that explodes. Um, and then like, after they've defeated them, they look around and they find what the weight and balance was. And it was the woman from the escape pod snuck onto the ship. I didn't quite get the, the ship is that sensitive. Yeah, it's so easily thrown off balance. But here's what I don't understand. She never comes up again. I know. I know. I, th- I thought the same thing. She, You think this is going to be a plot point that they're going to develop this character at all. It's like she's on the ship like, yeah, hey, don't, don't ever think about her never again. Never think about her again. And it's leads to a lot of questions because it's insane that they don't bring her up again and other than you know introducing the banshees we're talking about 10 minutes of the show in the middle i know apropos to nothing in the rest of the show someone said we want to get these viewers right away what we basically need to do is show the big bad guy it's the banshees that's our money shot that's what we spent you know 50 percent of the budget 20 dollars on and i mean uh, they're not wrong it just does not work. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, I, I agree with you on everything. <laughs> um, they arrive at Scarab finally. There's there's only three hours left. They somehow managed to while away 33 hours. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they descend down in these uh, para jets, which I guess are like, they're like reverse escape pods. They go down and back up. Yeah. It's interesting, though, because 
when you see the wide shot of the planet, like they have, you know, big vista shots, which are pretty good, actually. Their matte paintings aren't too bad. You just see like beams of light coming down from space and like little, little, mm-hmm. little things. Coming down. I, I like that. That was, that was cute. Yeah. So they, they basically get in these little pods that go down and seemingly also get sucked back up. Yeah. By, by beams of light. By beams of light. Yeah. It's very nice. Um, and uh, fortunately for Daniel Backman, he gets left behind on the ship. Yeah. Because he sucks and there's nothing for him to do. They don't want him, they don't want him there. The rest of the team goes down. They find the ship. They realize, oh, it's weird. It's not. It's not damaged the way they thought it was. The, the way they implied this ship was damaged. So something suspicious. Uh, Jojo, of course, gets attacked by vines, and the only way to fight a vine is to shoot wildly at the ground. Yep, uh, that kills vines, so that, she's that able worked. to escape. And finally, they find uh, the injured Decker hiding in a cave, but it's all an ambush because all of this is a huge ploy. It doesn't really work, but basically. Decker knew they would come and try to save him so he could get what he wanted, which was this energy crystal, and then take their ship and fly away. Yeah, that's it. He's he's there to steal the super weapon. His ship got busted. He's like, oh, go get Boone. He's dumb. He'll come here, and yeah. then I'll steal the ship. So they toss him into, like, they have this, like, portable force field, so they, like, toss him behind that. And they've, like, uncovered in this cave this huge glowing door with alien language on it, which I guess according to... Uh, the uh, Garaka priest they brought with him says only the uh, pure of heart can open this door. Can I, can I interject with one thing? Yeah, of course. You you mentioned the uh, the force field that goes around them. I could be wrong, but they're very worried about the time they have before things come and get them, and like the, the sun the, burns them. Yeah, the sun burn. Couldn't they just be in the force field and have everything go over them and just like wait it out? I don't know if the force field pushes light away. Okay, maybe you're right. You're right. I I don't know. I and I actually think. Because it, was, it wasn't like a full cube. It seemed to be just like a wall. Because they could like force them against the wall. Like a oh, cave right. wall. It was more like a uh, like a doggy uh, fence. Yeah. It was more like you had to keep your kid, your toddler out of the kitchen. Right. <laughs> but yes, they, they need to open this door. Only the pure park can do it. And, and they're tired of electrocuting their own men trying. So who should volunteer to open the door? Who has the purest heart amongst them all? What was it? Uh, it was uh, Doc. It was Doc? Yeah. Uh, which obviously is the least likely candidate. He walks up, touches the door, is electrocuted and thrown across the cave. And then the door opens anyway? <laughs> yeah. My note was, wait, now the door is open for some reason? That's right. Yeah. Because just, they needed to. It just opened. <laughs> Inside, you, you see a cool skeleton holding this like glowing, like weirdly animated, like scratch animated crystal, mm. which, is the, which is the weapon they've been looking for. And... They're kind of talking about how, oh, it's it's the ultimate technology. It's beyond physics. <laughs> They're constantly talking about things being beyond well, physics. Luke, it's, it's it's the future and it's science fiction. So that's all you need to know. You don't need to explain it. You don't need science in the science no. fiction. Of course, they can't we can't kill all of our leads this episode. So uh old Daniel Backman snuck down to the planet after all, and he's he's gonna rescue them. Mm-hmm. I have a question for you though, because he snuck down. He's going he's gonna to get them out of this jam. Who is on the ship? There's an easy answer to that. The lady who stowed away. <laughs> who is theoretically part of these criminals? Yeah. Like, there's a huge thing where it's just like, this woman should now be, like, counteracting everything yeah. they're doing, but it's fine. The, the point is, he saves the day. He saves the day. He uh, takes the his gun and he shoots a stalagmite? Stalactite? Which one hangs down? Yeah, the former. The mite? Yeah, I think so. Not the tight. I can't remember. No, tights hang tight. It's been a while since I went splunking. I think it might be tight. I think it might be slag tight. I don't know, though. Um, write in and tell us. Uh, the slag tight falls, lands on the shield generator, and then it's, you know, time for a big fist fight because um, 
What, what's his face? Necklace off. That's what happens. Well, that's it. He. Uh, there's a bit of a fistfight with all the goons. There's this Garaka priest who, I guess, he has to listen to no matter what he says. Like that's how their society works. But because he's come to this planet, he's betrayed his people. So now Garaka's like, or so now Zylan's like, I could take off his necklace and punch you in the face. <laughs> also, do you know who played that priest? Was it? Uh, um, what's his face? Pat. Uh, That's what it says on IMDb. I don't think it was. I don't know. That's what it says on IMDb. I He's know. under a lot of makeup, so it's hard to know for sure. Pat, what's his name? Pat. Mor- um, Pat Moriarty from The Karate Kid. Yeah, that's right. And and he also was in like I don't know four episodes of Mash. <laughs> that's his most important credit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's this fist fight. The best fight is between Zylon and this priest, though. Yeah. Because Zylon, like at the end of the fight, like the priest has this stick he keeps hitting him with. But then Zylan like picks him up, throws him headfirst into a rock, and then he falls onto a stalagmite and like impales him on the ground. Yeah. That's the best, best part of the fight. But while this is all happening, uh, our lead bad guy, Decker, he, he sneaks into the crystal and he, he grabs it and they all, they all gather around the entrance of the cave. He's like, well, I got you now. I have the crystal. I can just kill you with a single thought. And when he tries to use it, uh, we get to see an X-ray of his skeleton. Yeah, it's great. He kind of tries to show it, but shoot them, but it explodes instead. Well, he explodes. Yeah, he explodes. That's right. You do get to see his skeleton. That's good. You get a quick splash of his skeleton and he explodes. And I'm just like, how does this weapon work? But it doesn't matter because the, the cave collapses on top of him. The weapon is gone forever, apparently. And uh, we jump back to Port Hope where... Uh, Boone is trying to like plant this alien Christmas tree and he kind of makes a speech to his wife about planting roots here and like making a go of their family here and they hug and kind of make up and they're and they're very shortly interrupted by Doc and Jojo who are like you gotta come see what Mimmer's up to and for whatever reason they don't explain it and I don't think that's the point uh so Clint Howard and Mimmer they walk into the room and they open what looks almost like a um it's like a little porthole and they open it up and he comes out and he's just full of that slime we saw at the beginning. Yeah, he went into the hibernation booth that uh, Zylan, Zylan was in at the beginning. And he's like, you guys got to try it sort of thing. And that's the end of the show. I like that he's still wearing his glasses. Yeah. <laughs> Perfectly nude otherwise. And it was it was another reason to just slime someone. Oh, absolutely. It, it was just like, we got all this slime. Yeah. And that's the episode one. All right, let's let's get on to episode two here. Banshees, Banshees. IMDb summary for episode two: Banshees. Fort Hope, a trading center built on the foundations of races who lived and bartered here a millennia ago. It was a center where beings of all kinds tried to fulfill their lives. It still is. People are born here, get married, and some die here. They call it Fort Hope, but sometimes you can end up with more doubts than hope. The alien, dimension-skipping banshees attack a ship smuggling refugees. The bureaucratic and unpopular wise gives Boone permission to rescue a boy left on the ship if he agrees to bring back a banshee. Alive. (laughs) That was courtesy of Jules Taylor. Oh, Jules. Um, Here's what I would have written if I was Jules. Uh, Do you like aliens? This is aliens. Yeah. I mean, it is just aliens. It's aliens. From everything from... The plot, uh, not in the entire plot, but the basic plot to the design. Yeah, the set decoration. Yeah, like this is a lot of climbing through grates with with like smoke coming through it and literally an alien chasing you that's trying to murder you. Yeah, um, it's it's aliens. I mean, the show is nothing if not borrowed parts from other things. That, that's that's exactly what the show is. This show is like watching some sort of weird 
car that's just an amalgamation of everything and it doesn't exactly make an attractive car yeah one of them's a monster truck wheel yeah exactly one of them's just a tiny wheel and you're like oh, i've never seen that before um because apparently what i like to do in the show is uh, spelling bees i uh, guess how they spell banshees on this show oh it's not b-a-n-s-h-e-e-s no it's uh b-a-n-s-h-s-h-i-e-s oh okay well, that's wrong i don't know why <laughs> i don't know why they would make that choice anyway the episode opens on the new mayflower in the blood nebula Oh, the Blood Nebula. It's an old freighter transporting a bunch of illegal refugees for syndicate smugglers. Unfortunately, they're attacked by banshees. Mm-hmm. We get a big scene where people are evacuating the ship, running from banshees who are flying around attacking them. And then this uh, very dumb child falls down and hurts his <laughs> knee. And he starts screaming, my knee, my knee. And this child is arguably 22, 24 years old. <laughs> I know. They keep saying kid, child, whatever they, they refer to him. But you look at him and he, he's he's got to be early 20s. He's so old. <laughs> and he is, but, he's, but he's wearing like, you know, overalls or something. So he looks like a kid. And when he falls down, it's like the like the most half-hearted fall. And he's just like, <laughs> and he just is screaming, my knee, my knee. I'm like, just get up. Get up, kid. But he doesn't. The problem is they all get to what is like their uh, escape, escape pod. pod. And he doesn't get there in time. And they all leave, yeah. and they leave him there. And he has to be on that ship with the, the aliens, so the Baileys, and ba- gonna, Baileys, Banshees. Banshees. I'm going to spoil it now. Uh, he's also deaf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, that is spoiling it. You find out much later on that he's deaf. It doesn't it, affect anything. It's just like, uh, that might have helped explain some. Like it, <laughs> They treat deaf people like some sort of other disorder on this show. <laughs> the, well, <laughs> the, reason, <laughs> the only reason to mention he's deaf is to add a sort of... Um, extra level of uh conflict for them like because they can't call to him they can't he doesn't know they're looking for right. him but but it's not used at all no it's, it's just it's, it's a one scene where they're like hey hey there and he runs away and they're like oh, i guess he's deaf well <laughs> and, they, and they treat him either like he's very young or very stupid because he doesn't seem to understand things like it's as if it was written for a six-year-old the part and then they cast a 22 year old <laughs> but and this will be a tease for later the best scene in this uh, is because he's deaf. <laughs> I can't wait to hear what this is. We jump back to Port Hope and we get another little uh, narration from Boone off the stop where he gives a little more backstory about the series. He starts talking about how uh, I keep wanting to call it Port Hope, but it's Fort Hope. I think I said Port Hope too. It should be Port Hope because it's a spaceport. Yeah. They're wrong. This show's wrong about everything. <laughs> they don't know how to spell banshees. They don't know what to call the, the planet. But uh, he's actually talking about Fort Hope was built on the foundation's of races who traded and bartered there millennia ago. And I have so many, like, with so much backstory that you're not feeling like, it's like I'm like, there's an ancient city here of other races that you built your fort. Like, I'm like, I'm like, I need so much more information. You know what I love though? <laughs> As a side, I saw all the same things you did. My point was, I don't care. Sure. I was, I'm like, yeah, sure. I don't, I don't, but I like that you were just getting stuck on a show that, would be, clearly, clearly gave no second thoughts to anything they did and you're trying to figure it out i, I just, just think, want anything that's better than this show <laughs> i'm like tell me about those i don't want to hear what boone's up to anyway uh commander chenault she has she has all the escaped refugees from that new mayflower and she's she's grilling them trying to coerce out of them like the location of the smugglers who are trying to smuggle them to a new life and he, she's starting to like using veiled threats on them she's like if you don't tell me, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring a central command interrogator in here. You're not gonna like them. You might as well tell like she is a little mean. That's not nice because of her height. 
<laughs> she's mean because of her height. You said she's a little mean. Oh, I see. Yeah. Very good. Thanks. Um, very good. <laughs> anyway, Boone, meanwhile, is nearby filling out paperwork on a computer. And what we learn as Commander Chenault walks in is uh, between the first episode and this episode, yeah. his wife has left him and moved back to Earth. And he hasn't talked to his daughter in months. Well, what they basically did was they had a pilot and they figured, <laughs> what's funny is they figured some things to change that weren't working. What what was working was everything else in the show, apparently. <laughs> what wasn't working was this poor actress who they gave nothing to work with and all she had to do was plant a Christmas tree. But I love that they retooled things, but none of the stuff that doesn't work in the show. It, I thought it, I think it's wonderful. It is very funny because it was one of the things in the first episode I'm like, I was just like, oh, that's cool. You're giving your lead like a family. I'm like, I know. That's, that's so out of the box for this kind of show. Usually he has to be like some suave, shitty Han Solo character. First, beginning of the second episode, I'm divorced now and I could fuck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they do really try to sell that in this too, that he's, uh, like, he's, he's available. As soon as he leaves this like scene where we learn he's divorced and he hasn't called his six-year-old daughter in months, <laughs> He's like, I think she's mad at me. I'm like, yeah. She's now she's now seven. <laughs> they go to a bar, and at the bar, Jojo immediately hooks him up with a captain named Captain Susie Watson. But I'll, I'll give this uh, the the character. What's the character? Boone. 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 Credit. He doesn't jump on it right away. Yeah. He at least is conflicted about. It's true about his. Susie's feelings. like, yeah. Remember we went to Annapolis together? Like we trained there. He's like, no, don't remember you at all. It's like, remember I like si- I captured you during the desert planet excursions? No, we don't remember you. <laughs> that was funny. It was such a weird exchange because what you thought they were gonna do was he doesn't remember, but they had this shared history, and he's like, oh, we I do remember you, and so you've you've created this connection that wasn't there before. But they just go, nope, don't remember you. And she's like, what about this? She's like. I, I stood beside you five minutes ago. He's like, nope, don't remember. Well, it's like, well, okay, why didn't we have this scene? The entire time is he's like, just saying, no, I don't know who you are, even though we have a clear history together. And she's just like working overtime to flirt. Like she, that, yeah. that actress is like, I have to pretend like I like him. So she's like throwing overtime work into being like, I'm in love with him. I'm in love with him. Yeah. Did you like the alien who was tending bar? I don't know if I caught that. I was too busy looking at the bald pale woman. It was a white lady with dreads. <laughs> okay she was she was bald on top but dreads otherwise i'm like that's barely an alien that's an alien looks like an alien to me <laughs> um this whole uh flirting session that jojo uh set to set boone up on here ends very abruptly when they get a, when the team gets a call to come see colonel erich wise yeah and he looks sort of like a not as talented not attractive version of Cary grant oh interesting i thought it was like he seemed like a character to me. I felt like you could just replace him with like um, a Werner Herzog or something. Right. Like he's just like a weird Eastern European man. It is weird because, and they also like, I'll just say later on, you see him with the, one of the worst faking uh, playing violin I've ever seen. And it's just like, why? Oh, just, just that, that's his character. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Why not? Why not? He's very unimpressed with how unkempt the crew looks. He, uh, he wonders if the, base laundry facilities are on holiday <laughs> and he, he he informs them because they all have like th- like three days facial hair growth he's just like you know there's like this great follicle elimination procedure you, you never have to shave again and like if you guys don't like shaving i've got a great solution for you and doc's just like yeah well some of us want to be reminded that we're men <laughs> i hate him so much <laughs> i think he's great i think it's great because he's just here's the thing what i like about the show it's bad. There's no question about that. We're we're never going to disagree with that. But it's so 
not self-conscious about how bad it is. Oh, it has no idea. Yeah, it has no idea, and and there's something very charming about its stupidity. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's true. It's like a friend you have who thinks they're like very funny and very smart, and they're constantly just saying the like dumbest thing they half remember, and you're like, what? Yeah. No, what are you talking about? <laughs> um. Anyway, he basically tells them, "I've got a mission for you. I want you to capture a banshee." Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is, I think, probably another unintended look at how this world works and the universe they live in. Is it's been ten years since they first encountered the banshees. There have been fifteen thousand deaths, and up till now, no one's had the slightest amount of curiosity to even consider trying to like look at what the enemy is. Yeah, I know. I was like, "What? No, really?" But I think it speaks to like, like this is the world they live in. It's like there's a, a, a supreme lack of curiosity about anything happening around them. That's actually a good way of saying it. Yeah, th- this show is is not curious. Yeah, it, it's it's like Doc. Like it's like if you put Doc in charge of things, he'd be like, "I don't know. I don't care." Just like as long as they as long as they don't take my tax money. <laughs> but old uh, fate Cary Grant offers them triple hazard play pay to go get a banshee, and they're basically like, "We're gonna go save this kid." Well, and yeah. while we're there, we can also grab the banshee. So you know, two uh, two birds with one stone. Well, that's it. Basically, they call the mission a co- a red code mission, so it's entirely voluntary. And they happen to know the ship's still there because its um, life sensor is uh, sending transmissions still. And one of those transmissions happens to be a video feed of the kid because the kid, like, hacked a camera or something. So they know Banshees are there and they know this kid's there. Uh, JoJo's excited to go back because she's got a vendetta against Banshees. Of course, so is uh, old Daniel Backman because... Why not? He's there. Why not? Um, But even with triple pay, they kind of only agree because Boone wants to go save this kid because the kid is a stand-in for his own six-year-old daughter who's abandoned. Yeah, I know. And they they try to just kind of jam that in, but it doesn't work at all. But I like that they mention at least three times. It's like, the only reason he's empathetic at all is because he's had a child. If he didn't, he's not going down there. It it really did feel like it's just like, like it was like some sort of screenwriting handbook. It's just like, makes it, make the stakes personally related. It's just like, (laughs) the kid is like his daughter. Old uh, Commander Wise gives them a new weapon that Central Command's been developing, this mm-hmm. uh, experimental XZ-12S, a mobile cryogenics unit. It's a freeze gun. It's a freeze gun. And uh, we catch up with it with Mimmer testing out that gun, and uh, he t- he's testing out it on Doc for some reason? Yeah, because hilarity ensues, that's why. Well, it's very funny, because they like pointed at him, and Doc's just like, why is it always me? And then they, like, you know, classic freeze effect, like they kind of spray that white foam on him, <laughs> and he's just like, frit. But he's not even doing a good job. You can clearly see him moving. I thought, it's just, this show has so many scenes like this that I'd like to say they were filler, but I really think the people writing them just were typing it, going, this is the best thing ever, and wouldn't it be gold, this hilarious? Gold, gold, gold. Yes. So it's like, they're not, there's no purpose to any of this it's just wouldn't it be funny if we froze someone yeah and what i liked here well what i thought i was gonna like here is at this point they test it out it works and then mimmer starts begging boone if he can come on this mission he's like please let me come and i thought for sure that was gonna be the running gag of the show is that every episode mimmer is gonna beg to come on a mission and they were gonna say no but boone's immediately just like yeah sure you can come on this one i was like no mimmer yeah but it's very funny because mimmer's like you're gonna need me because (laughs) he's just like we don't know how what's going to happen when we shoot this cryogenic gun at the Banshees? And here's his exact line. What if Banshee knowledge of physics lets them create a cross-anomalous force field which stabilizes matter and antimatter at the same time? I was like, what does that mean? I, it's The science writing on the show is very funny. They're always like using the word physics. I see nothing wrong with it. 
And uh, oh, something they like to do this episode too is they say it, it, it's a cross of something, like a cross anomalous force field. So later he'll be like, they seem to have some sort of uh, cross barrier ability. <laughs> <laughs> Again, no homework was done. No effort was given these sorts of things, but they were just like, forget it. It doesn't matter. That's not the show we're making. Um, and before they leave, they got to go pick up a Xylan who's uh, holding fire in his hands at a Garaka temple overlooking a cliff. Yeah, this, this I don't know why this was added in, but yes, it's like, oh, we've learned something about him. Not at all. Yeah. I mean, what we get to learn now is he gets a fancy knife like a Klingon. <laughs> yeah. And that um, it's an honor for him among his people to kill a Banshee and that he tells them all, he's like, the Garaka know a secret way to kill the Banshee. And they're like, what is it? He's like, I don't know. We forgot. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? I was so tickled with all this. What? what? Oh, my God. We'll get back to this later, too. We had a launch sequence again to the to the gravitational rate. They kind yeah. of, it's a repeat of the launch sequence before that where they, like, they shoot again, through the tunnel. They paid that $10 for that effect. <laughs> shoot up. They're going to use the it every episode. Thing. I did, it did make me think, though, because I think we've seen this before, like in Galactica, they did that again. There really was a period of time where there was like every episode like had a cool like team gather. I kept, every time I saw it on these two episodes, I for some reason kept thinking of, do you remember the Ghostbusters cartoon, but the one with the ape in it? It's so weird you said that. This very much feels like the what we'll call not real Ghostbusters show. I don't I don't know who owned that, but not the real Ghostbusters as they called it the cartoon based on the movies, but the other one that was weird people in like contraptions yeah, it was that... like two like cat skills comedians yeah. and a gorilla yeah which i also watched as a kid because it was on tv but well, uh, they had a great like sequence where they like geared up to go into the mm-hmm. uh, to go it's into the very thing. very similar that, like i'm just like i'm just like this is I'm like, I'm like what happened to that why don't we do like wild sequences that are repeated every episode anymore? man that's what this is it really is what it is but the show also feels like that this feels like a knockoff show off something else you've seen yeah absolutely i mean it definitely it it's funny it aired on cbs it feels like it's on like some sub tier cable yeah. station, like something where like well, $20 was invested. My thought was it feels like an Eastern European remake of something you've seen before that they never, you know, didn't have the script and didn't actually have the movie. Like someone told someone in uh, the Czech Republic. Yeah. Someone came back um, from Paris and yeah, explained the episode. Exactly. Explained Star Wars. And they said, oh, yeah, we can do that. Um, anyway, they, they do their launch. They end up in the Blood Nebula. They find the new Mayflower floating out in this, like, the Blood Nebula is, like, this kind of cool, actually. It's got all this, like, weird floating red clouds in the space mm-hmm. kind of I thing. thought it looked pretty good. Yeah, it did look good. And uh, the Mayflower is kind of fluctuating in and out of existence. It's, like, flashing with electricity and disappearing I, and I didn't understand back. that. I thought it was just that it had some sort of cloaking capability that was, uh, wasn't working properly. No, no. Uh, as Mimmer says, it seems to be some sort of cross-spatial anomaly. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. Um, and they kind of have a docking sequence here where they're going to land and dock with a ship. Mm. And I mean, the sense of scale on this show, because it's like two models landing on each other, but it's clear that the the Lizzie, their ship, is about half the size yeah. of this giant freighter, but they don't even shoot it to make it work. Like, it kind of flies over top of them. It's like, that ship is huge by comparison. Like, you're much bigger than the other ship you're landing yeah. on. <laughs> It was just so weird. Everything is like just all, you're right. It is like an Eastern European like <laughs> yeah. knockoff show. Oh my god, it's so weird. Um, we get a bit of a reveal here of JoJo's backstory. Let me see if I can summarize it. And I could be wrong because I think I yeah. also paid less attention. Work it through. They were a race of people. Uh, Banshees came in. Well, she's human. She's human. Was she? Okay. And she's living. Wasn't she living on a planet? And yeah. They then... they were on. They were colonists on New Venus. New Venus. 
the banshees pretty much killed everyone except for the women no uh banshee didn't kill anyone okay so i got it all wrong go ahead I, this is what's crazy because this whole backstory doesn't make any sense is they're all on new venus they're calling a new venus the banshees attacked their shipping routes so all the men on the planet ran away but all the women stayed and that destroyed their culture so they rebuilt it as a culture of all women oh i i didn't catch that but i like that more and i was just like it's a weird idea and there's like an amazon planet idea in there but like the specifics of it don't work like there's somebody like well that's not gonna work like none of that makes any sense i love it i love it <laughs> i love that just it's, this is just someone who just copied someone else's homework it's just great <laughs> they uh they board the new mayflower um uh, once again daniel backman gets left behind <laughs> yeah yeah uh, but he gets to stay with jojo this time so he has some company yeah they, they get to occasionally cut back to them and he's like i want to go down there and she's like absolutely not and I, they do that scene like three times i think the stowaway from the first episode is still on there somewhere too <laughs> yeah yeah this, he just they just cut to like her skeleton in the back somewhere <laughs> they like murdered her <laughs> um and the ship is like, it's been taken over basically by the Banshees. Like you see weird electric charges running across metal grates. Yeah. Basically, do you remember in Aliens where the aliens would spit out saliva or some sort of blood that was an acid blood and can burn through the ship? Now these Banshees, what they have is they leave webbing everywhere and the yeah. webbing is electrified. And they have like or, this, yeah, weird organic membrane. doesn't look dissimilar to the umbilical cord thing that the first but it has like a almost cartoon effect of an electricity yeah like it, it is like someone like hand sketched the electricity into it and i did like later we'll see some banshees on the ship just puking up liquid out of their mouths <laughs> to create these things <laughs> so good that was so good here's the thing though they didn't look like the banshees from the first episode yes they did did they well here's the thing in the first episode we briefly get a shot of the outside where it looks like proton torpedoes or like fiery balls are flying at them but when you finally get to see one of the banshees hanging off the windshield, it is one of these things. Oh, see, I thought they looked different. No, no. these weren't on fire. Well, that's the thing. I don't even know if... The, I'm not sure if that fire effect was supposed to be the banshees in space or if that was the banshees, like, attack. Oh. I think that might have been their laser blasts. Oh. Okay, sure. Because they don't do that in this episode. There's literally no laser blasts. No, they're puking up webs. They're puking up webs. <laughs> um, and... As they're going in, at some point, Doc falls into one of these like webs and gets electrocuted. And this is the point where he ejects his own heart because it stopped, and he just hits it with his fist till it starts beating again, then puts it back in. Yep. So bizarre. Such a bizarre show. Um, but yeah, they, they want to go find the kid. They don't know he's deaf. They use the PA system to be like, "Hey, kid, meet us at the port." But you know, obviously, you can't hear him. But thankfully, as soon as they walk out of the central command the kid's just standing in the hallway anyway yeah like there's no it's there, not a big ship there, there's no yeah it's not a big ship we've seen how small it is compared to theirs <laughs> they like find him immediately there's a bit of a banshee attack where they're like running away from him they like close a door and the banshee like punches a hole through the door and then starts choking out the dock and uh old old xylan cuts his arm off and there's like yellow blood everywhere like the strength of the it's just so funny like how sloppy because like it punched through a metal door I'm like, well, she'd just be tearing the doc's head off right now. Nope. No. And also very, he just takes his knife and cuts his arm off, which yeah. is pretty good. But is this where now we get to see them shoot the the freeze gun at the Banshee? Well, uh, I mean, we get a little bit of stuff here because this is where they, you know, meet the kid and like the kid's all freaked out because he's never seen a human before also, <laughs> apparently. And like doc is just like, here, 
let him, I, I'll relate to this kid because I also have this one ear that's a robot ear. And he's just like, here, check out my cool, he takes up a robot ear. And he's just like, check this out. And he just holds the robot ear next to the deaf kid and the deaf kid can hear something. I was like, no, you know what he could hear? How is any of this technology working? Well, do you know, do you know what the kid heard? No. He heard his mother. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. When he gets back to the ship, he hears his yeah. mother talking. Yeah, that's right. Because his mother's running to see him. Yeah. It's, I mean, I'm like, I, I'm like, I don't even know what your mother sounds like. You're deaf. <laughs> anyway, there's this, yeah, how deafness is cured, how deafness works to make any sense. We we do get a quick side scene where that wise guy tries to play the, uh, wise guy, tries to play the violin. Yeah. And we, I guess we're supposed to learn that he's not such a bad guy, maybe. Yeah, it, it does. There's no, there's, you don't learn anything. Just fill, fill some time in the show. But yes, they, they, they're, they're making their way back to their ship to get out of there and, um, the whole ship starts like disappearing because like members telling them the physics are altering outside the ship and we got to get off the ship before it disappears again. And we kind of see outside the Banshee dimension opens up and we see this huge membrane like and they say like, oh, it's the Banshee hive mm-hmm. in the Banshee dimension that we're getting pulled into. Like there's I have a lot of questions. I'm not mad about the show at this point. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like all right, <laughs> tell me more. But uh, we don't get it this episode. Yeah, I, I had thought it was almost like a planet slash uh, ship slash how they got from place to place was all in this weird membrane sort of thing, but they don't explain it at all. But you're like, okay, that's kind of something. Yeah, there's something uh, we're starting to see like they have some sort of dimension they go to and they can pop in and out of or something, and they're sucking the ship that's, into that's it. That's how they've killed like 15,000 people. That's true. No one's about looking into it until today, though. <laughs> um, and yes, this is basically where they're, they're retreating to the ship. They are in a corridor of the Mayflower that is in six, like four feet of water. Yeah. They're like, jump in the water. I'm like, why, why is there so much water uh, in this corridor? I don't know. I did, they didn't explain that. And uh, yeah, a Banshee jumps down from the roof and they're like, Mimmer, freeze it. And he shoots it with a cryo thing and it like does the freeze thing for for only but a second. Yeah. It breaks out of the, the frozenness. Yeah. It, basically, it like holds him for a quarter second. It doesn't work. But that's okay because... Xylan rediscovers the secret way that his people disco- found out to kill a banshee. Yeah, is it uh, uh, just a knife? Yeah, stab it repeatedly. Yeah, over and over and over <laughs> again. Yeah, and it's very funny because at this point I'm like, all right, well, you guys did it. You you didn't get a live one, but like you literally got the kid, mm-hmm. and you got it. You've got a full banshee to bring back. Great job! And they walk past its body and get on the ship and leave. And I'm like, it was very odd. You guys are worthless, but. You're not getting but, triple pay. No one's getting triple pay. Luke, you know they don't just leave the Banshee. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think they do? Well, they have it later on. Well, no, no. That's just the... They have the arm of one of the... Yes, but that's they, what they I'm saying. A, they, they, had a, they had a full Banshee to take with them that they yeah. left behind. Yeah. I thought you were going to say they like did something to the body. I was like, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Jordan. No. no. <laughs> they pooped in his mouth. <laughs> anyway, they, uh, they, they kind of go to the engine room and like set the engine to like self-destruct because mm-hmm. they're like, we can't let them have this ship. I guess because as we find out when they're in the engine room, it's like Doc's like, this is the exact same freighter that my dad was an engineer on. And I helped build this engine. Yeah. So I need to set it to explode and they like fly away. And as they're flying away from the exploding Mayflower, the doc's crying. <laughs> he's cause he's so touched by being on the ship. His dad yeah. was an engineer on wild turns on this show. And we, we hop back to Fort hope and the, the kids reunited with his mom Doc gives him his robo ear. Th- that and that was it. That was my favorite scene. 
why if you had had a prosthetic ear that allowed you to hear would you take that off and give it to someone and also is that kid gonna walk around just with the ear in front of his he holds the ear to his own ear and it's like but he still wouldn't be able to hear it well that's that's my point it's like there's no way this technology works but he's just like i can hear everything now i'm like how that's a a robotic thing built into a man's head like it must be driven into his brain it's the equivalent of of being like oh you can't hear um here's a speaker system (laughs) i don't know i don't know jordan i don't know what to do um we find out that Commander Chenault managed to get the refugees to give up some information about the syndicate. And she kind of teases. She's like, we don't have them yet, but we've got enough to go on. And I'm like, are we going to have another syndicate episode? <laughs> also, it was one of those plot threads that no one cared if they tied yeah. it up. Uh, Captain Susie Watson reappears. And something we never <laughs> mentioned because it never comes up. She gave him a lucky rabbit's foot at the beginning of the episode. Be like, this will keep you safe. And she comes like, do you have my lucky rabbit's foot? And he's like, yeah, I didn't use it. Here you go. And she's like, uh, you want to go have that dinner now? Because I love you, apparently. And, and, he's, he's, and he's like, no, I can't. I got to go talk to my kid tonight. I got to go call my daughter for the first time in a year. And then we go to what scene, Luke? Colonel Weiss rushes into Mimmer's lab because he's just like, Boone told me you got my sample. Thank God you got my sample. And Mimmer's just like, whoa-oh. And he turns around to Xylan. Who pulls out the arm and it looks... Just like a lo- like a lobster yeah, tail. Yeah, it looks like a lobster claw. And he just starts eating it in the like in a really gross sort of manner. Yeah, he's just tearing the flesh off this alien, this banshee arm, just for, for, for no reason. With a shitting green on, <laughs> a shitting green. I'm just like, like I'm just like, there's no like this is it. In this world, no one has the slightest curiosity about science, anything. Yeah. They don't have, like they're just like they're like I wonder what it tastes like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! What what a Jordan. This show is insane. It is insane. Do you have any last thoughts before we start rating it? I mean, I think I've I've laid out a lot of my thoughts on the show already. So I think we can maybe maybe get right into the ratings, unless you have anything you're dying to tell me. Before I give you my scores, I just want to say I do know that it this show is very cheesy. It's really obvious with its ripoffs. Special effects are special effects are bad, acting is bad, writing is bad. There's nothing you haven't seen before. And as we said, it's sort of an amalgamation of so many other things, but done more badly. But there's something oddly charming, at least to me, about how it's just not self-aware at all. And it's like watching something a crazy person put together. (laughs) I mean, talking about it sounds like trying to describe something a crazy person put together. All right. Well, what do you want to give the first episode for Fort Hope? Seven and a half. It's a three. <laughs> it might be even lower than a three. <laughs> I, and again, I know this is a high score for me. It's just, I really enjoyed how insane this was because scene to scene, you didn't know what was going to happen because nothing made sense well, and nothing worked. I got to say, I, they should have just thrown out the pilot. It's it's just awful. <laughs> the pilot is unwatchable. Like It is unwatchable. So I disagree. Bad. I disagree. I would say at least the second episode had some fun to it. Like I, I'm going to give the second episode a six because at least I was like, I like the aliens. Like, there's a lot of goo. I like that kind of stuff. The first episode was just a a mess. Well, I think they it was you pilot. They had to introduce all the characters that you would have to learn out which of them um, is, is is hateful. I don't think that was the problem. Like, it, I think my problem with it was is like because you learn all the characters in the first five minutes, and then they could have done anything. But what they chose to do was awful. <laughs> Well, you're not wrong. I still had a good time. And on the second episode, I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Holy shit. 
<laughs> I just, I, I know it's bad and I know everything about it. You're not wrong about anything else, but I just had such an enjoyable time watching this because so it was just bored. so bad. I had to watch it in so many cities. Oh, really? I just watched it in one and I was just like, yes, yes, yes. This oh, is terrible. It was, this was a rough one for me. <laughs> I'm shocked to hear you liked it so much. It's just so bad. It's so bad. And it just, yeah, I agree. It's so, yeah, it's so bad. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for this show uh, episode of our podcast. Um, if you want to write in and tell us how much you love the Space Rangers, <laughs> all the fond memories you have, um, you can email us at continuumdrag.gmail.com. And you're right, Jordan, there's going to be a lot of great yeah. social media material here because some of the stuff is great to look at. It's just so weird. Such like some very good alien design. I think there is stuff to like for the like I think that's the way to watch the show. It's like a parody in itself. Yeah. So you can find that on our Instagram and Twitter at continue and drag. And um that about wraps it up. Thanks for joining us, listeners. And uh Jordan's been uh okay watching the show with you. <laughs> yeah. I really liked it. It was so stupid. It's such a stupid show. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rick Siedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Younes, Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, Jane McRae, and Stephen Packard. <laughs> <laughs>